All right, we are in week three of a series called Disciple. And we uh, talked about already the false distinction between disciple and Christian. Is there a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple? The answer is no. <laughs> they are the same thing. In the scriptures, the disciples are called Christians. It's not that you have a group of people who are Christians who sort of agree with the belief system but don't take it very seriously. And then you've got the disciples who are actually trying to do it. You know, there aren't two different groups of people. You just have one group of people, the followers of Christ, and then you have the people who aren't the followers of Christ. So there's the false distinction between disciple and just a Christian. Um, and we talked about some tools to understanding the difference between what is the stuff the disciple does and what is the other stuff. What's the rest of the deal? And so over the last couple of weeks we've talked about this, so I'm going to whip through it fairly quickly. If you want more information on it, the, uh, the previous sermons are on our website, goodhope.ag. So I'll whip through it real quick. So we talked about the stuff that disciples do and connect with, and that is the ways of God. A disciple connects with the ways of God and does the ways of God. Then we've got uh, the ways of men, which we described as church culture. There's church culture. Did you know there's a difference between how churches do things and how God does things? We want as much overlap as possible, but then there's just some differences. You know what I mean? Like, for example, here, we have a tendency to sing five songs, and they're mostly contemporary worship songs. Is that an of God thing, or is that just our particular church culture? You can sing hymns and worship God just as well as sing in contemporary worship. You cannot have music at all and worship God just as much as if you have music, right? It's not about that. That's just part of our culture. Now, we sing songs, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's a cultural thing. If we were to get mad at somebody and say, well, the real way of God is to sing Chris Tomlin's song, we'd be stepping out and thinking that the things of church culture are the things of God. And that's just the things of church culture. It's the things of men, our ideas, our ways of doing things. And uh, and that's that thing, which can be separate from the things of God. Then we talked about itching ears and things that are just the ways of our personal preferences. Our preferences certainly influence uh, how we do things. Uh, when people choose a church, I, I do. I go to these conferences and stuff, and the, the, one of the things that struck me a while ago was the top three reasons why people pick a new church. Reason number three, availability of adequate parking. Reason number two, the quality of the chairs, how comfortable they are. And reason number one, the music style and the quality of the music. Those are the top three reasons why people pick a church. So we put that in category three of itching ears. It's personal preferences. And so, are, is it okay to get your preferences met from time to time? Sure, that's okay. Don't think those are the ways of God. <laughs> you know, that's just what you like. Okay? You like a comfortable chair. Sometimes in serving the Lord, you don't get a comfortable chair. So, those are different from the ways of God. And then we talked about, um, the ways of darkness and ferocious wolves. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Is there ever any darkness inside Christian circles? 
There sure can be. Sometimes people come into a Christian group trying to find God, and what they find is just ick. They find darkness. They find evil. That's a bad deal. That's this false prophet. That can sneak up on you. We talked about that, uh, how uh, envy and uh, selfish ambition can bring you into that place of being about darkness, being about evil, being about the things of the devil rather than being about the things of God. And so we made all those distinctions. And last week we talked about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we looked at some of the errors that are involved in these categories. And with church culture, the primary error that church culture does is the church culture becomes a surrogate father for your Heavenly Father. One of the bad things about organized religion, which I think is better than disorganized religion, one of the bad things about organized religion is there can be a tendency for the organization to start worshiping itself rather than worshiping God. And it gets to be about the organization. It gets to be about the particular church. It gets to be about the particular ministry. And it's self-serving rather than God-serving. And so that's dangerous. We've got to watch out for surrogate father syndrome with regards to church culture. And we talked about itching ears and we talked about the inverted relationship with your Heavenly Father. Where the inverted relationship with your Heavenly Father is where you want God to serve you instead of you serving God. It's where I want this, I want to do this, I want to go this way, and so God, you help me out. You get on board with me, I'm just going to pray and pray and pray till you get doing what I want you to do. Is that the type of relationship we should have with our Heavenly Father? No, that's an inverted relationship. We are to serve the Lord. We are to find out, Lord, what are you doing? I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, whatever you want from me, I'm going with you. I'm not trying to get God on board with me. And then we talked about the ferocious wolf thing as far as like competition between churches and stuff like that and how that can get to be darkness. And when you're, when you're going to one church versus another, it's not the same as the Vikings and the Packers. You know, some people can root for the Vikings, other people can root for the Packers. But don't cheer for your church and cheer against another one. Now you're getting into some icky stuff and there's potential danger there. We don't want that. We want to be a part of the body of Christ growing and strengthening one another no matter what congregation we associate ourselves with. So we talked about all that stuff last week. This week, what does a right relationship with God look like for a disciple? And we talked about what it doesn't look like. What does it look like? So let's pray a little bit. We'll talk about that some. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You, Lord, again, that You uh, don't just leave us here to wander around and do the best we can, but You guide us by Your Spirit. You guide us by Your Word. Help us, Lord, to connect with You. Help us to have that right relationship. Lord, help us to walk with You. Bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. What does it look like to have a right relationship with your Heavenly Father if you are a disciple? First things first, a disciple is a servant of God. We talked about that just a little bit already. A disciple is someone who disciplines themselves in the ways of God. So, Jesus would go up to people 
and he would say, follow me. And they would then make a choice. They would either let go of their old life and go with Jesus, or they would say, forget it, it's not worth going with you. And it's the same for us, except Jesus is in a different place. He's not walking around on the earth, so we can't follow Him around geographically. But we can follow Him with our life. And so, when you make that decision, yes, Lord, I will follow You. That's your decision to be a disciple. That's your decision to become a Christian. That's your getting saved moment. Your conversion experience. That choice is when you start following Jesus. So a disciple is a servant of God. One who disciplines themselves in the ways of God. I hope that's clear. Um, is it enough to say you follow Christ and then not follow Christ? Is that sufficient? Or does he see through that? I got a phrase I like to say, and it's this. God's real smart. He sees through all that stuff. He knows if you're trying to play games with Him, He understands. He knows if, you're, if your heart is right or not. He's real smart. So let's look at Romans 6, 16-18. Let's make sure this is clear. A disciple is a servant of God, a follower of God. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey Him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Doesn't that make sense? If you offer yourself to someone to obey them as a slave, you are the slave to the one that you obey. Not to the one that you say you're a slave of. It's the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. So look at the difference. Slaves to sin versus wholeheartedly obeying the form of teaching. So if Jesus says, love your neighbor, what's the response? Well, you don't know my neighbor. You wouldn't have said that if you'd understood who lives next door to me. No, it's, Love your neighbor. Yes, sir. <laughs> that is obeying the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. Man, there is a lot in that. Do you know you can be free from sin? Not just resisting sin, but free. Oftentimes, of course, we have to resist. We're being pulled one way. The hooks are in us and we're fighting them. We're resisting. But we can be free. Not pulled. That's a glorious place to get to. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Disciples are ones who wholeheartedly obey the teaching. They are servants of God. They are not slaves to sin. They're not slaves to money. They're not slaves to their reputation, but servants, slaves to the living God. Amen? It's exciting stuff. Having a good time? Alright. So, 
What is the primary motivation for choosing to become a servant of God? Why would you do that? What's the motivation? I'm going to tell, I told my testimony in the first service, so I should do it again. For consistency's sake, because it's been a while and it's good for people to know where I'm coming from. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I became a pastor when I was 31. People were like, oh, you must be a pastor's kid if you were a pastor when you were 31. I'm like, no, that was not the case. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a scientific home, an atheistic home, uh, a home where no one believed in God and uh, where people believed in science. You know, uh, that whole deal. That was the That was the thing. And so I bought it. I had no reason not to. Uh, just completely bought into that whole understanding, that whole idea. Um, but I never, in my heart, I never could say there is no God. I, I was sure there was no God. But I wasn't able to say. I just didn't feel right about saying that. I thought, well, how do I know? So I'm just going to leave that be. So I didn't say it. Then when I was 19, a guy talked to me, that'll be the short part of the story, and gave me a Bible to read because he asked me if I wanted to know about God. And I thought, well, if God's real, that'd be good information to have. You know, wouldn't that be good information to have? God's real. A fellow ought to know about that. So I thought, well, okay, I'll check it out. We'll see. But I didn't care. God was real. God wasn't. It didn't matter to me. Didn't have a horse in the race. So I thought, well, okay, I'll find out. I'll go check it out. So, he gave me a Bible, had me start reading it, and in the book of Matthew. So I read in the book of Matthew, got to Matthew 7, 7, where it says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So when I read that, I thought, I can apply this to the scientific method. This is a testable verse. This is something that I can, I can put out there and I can either prove it or disprove it. Because if it says, Seek and you will find, and you do some seeking, You'll either find, or you'll find out that that was a bunch of baloney, right? So I thought, okay, I'm going to find this out. So I let it sit a couple weeks, kind of got myself settled on how I was going to do this, and and decided I'm just going to pray. So I was driving home after work about midnight, and uh, it was in the summertime, it was dark out, the stars were out, and, I, and I'm driving, I just thought, well, let's find out. So I just prayed a prayer, I said, Lord... Uh, this guy gave me a book. He says it's your book. In the book it says, Seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. And I'm knocking. And as I'm driving down the road, I saw, um, I saw two hands appear in the sky like this. And then they opened up like that. And then they went away. And uh, that was a very scary experience for me. In the Christian world, people are like, oh, wow, that's neat. I'm like, no, that was traumatic. <laughs> that was, that was, I like to tell people that ruined my life. You know, I mean, it, that's, nothing's been the same since. Uh, and I didn't tell anybody for a few years just because I had to sort it out. You know, I mean, which is more likely? There's a goofball out there or that 
that there is a God that can hear people pray when they're driving at midnight and who will respond by showing them a vision. Which is more likely, that there's somebody out there that's a goofball or that that's the case? It's too bad I'm the goofball. You know what I mean? Like, oh, so I had to go through and figure all that out and determine, you know, am I trustworthy to myself or not? And, and, uh, going through that process, you know, and really kind of wrangled with all of these things. And then the question was, okay, am I going to serve God or not? I've, I've had an experience. I've had some experiences. What am I going to do with that? And so I wrote down some of my motivations for becoming a servant of God. And here's what, here's what I wrote down. Why learn other things when you can learn about God? I was going to college when I had my experience. Over time, I just decided, what difference does this make and quit? Figured I'd be better off stocking frozen food at Food for Less in Bemidji than going to college. Because uh, I just thought, who cares? What difference does it make? There's bigger stuff going on here than some guy going to college. Then I decided to go back to college, because why not? Stocking frozen foods wasn't that exciting either. And uh, studied philosophy and learned a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it was very helpful for me, very cathartic. Um, but why learn about other things when you can learn the things of God? You have access to the things of God. Just learn that. Why fight for other causes when you can fight for the Lord? You know, it's, I'm, I'm good with people getting involved in, in political things. I'm good with people getting involved in, uh, humanitarian things. You know, I'm good with that. That's awesome. For me, why fight for other causes when I can fight for the Lord? I'll do that. The last one I wrote down was, why rescue people from other things? when you can rescue them from hell. Why would I spend my time rescuing people from other things when I can rescue someone from hell? So I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm in. I'm going to serve the Lord and we're going to see what happens. When we get down deep, what are our primary motivations for serving God? For saying, yes, I will. Yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I'm with you. I don't care what it means. And I tell you what, there are some sacrifices, but wow, walking with God is a blessed life. What are our primary motivations? And I found scripturally two major motivations for following God. Two significant reasons to follow the Lord. The first one is love. And the second one is fear. Love and fear. How do those work together? Now, have you heard people try to motivate you to follow Jesus by telling you how much Jesus loves you? 
Like, oh man, you should become a Christian. Jesus loves you. Have you heard people try to motivate you to follow Jesus because if you don't, you're going to burn, you rotten... Have you... So we've got two types of motivations, don't we? We've got love and we've got fear. How do those interact? How do those weave together? Have you felt both at the same time? Let's talk about that a little bit this morning. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Excited? little Deuteronomy? Come on, that just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, we're chapter 5, we got the Ten Commandments. Chapter 6, here's what we got. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What's being said here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the ways of God are good. Be excited about getting to know God. Talk about the things of God. Love God and go His way. The motivation to serve the Lord is because God is good. Love Him because that's the right reaction. His ways are good. His ways are strength. Follow Him. Then a few verses later, still in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, we read this, verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Same chapter, little different message. Isn't that interesting? In our church culture, we tend to either embrace one or the other. Either we're going to browbeat people and make sure we're firing brimstone every week and shake them into their, you better follow the Lord, you rotten. You know, that whole deal. I'm not sure why Jesus loves you, but He does. He shouldn't, you know. And just that whole thing. Because it, or it's like, oh, Lisa just wants to give you a hug. He just loves you so much. Oh. But we see both of these in the same chapter. We see love God with all you got, man. Love God because He is good. Talk about God with your kids. Walk in His ways because there's good stuff there. And, Fear the Lord. Both in the same chapter. Hmm. How do these intertwine? How does this work? Let's get New Testament. Matthew 22. 36 through 40. If Jesus was here, I would ask Him the same question. Let's get through all this stuff. What's the most important thing? Just tell me the, just tell me the most important thing. Give me the bottom line. I like this guy. He asked Jesus, what's the bottom line here? What do I need to do? I don't want to strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I want to know what's the most important thing. So he asks him. 
Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, did you read that before? That's from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, the implication is because that makes sense. It isn't love something not lovely. You know what I mean? Like, when I was a kid, my brother didn't like peanut butter. And I thought, how can you not like peanut butter? And peanut butter's great! And I would, I'd like yell at him. I'd be like, you're lying, aren't you? You, what do you mean you don't like peanut butter? Of course you like peanut butter. Peanut butter's great. You're lying to me. You know, I'd be like, no, I don't like peanut butter. Could I just make him love peanut butter? No, he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to be different. He claims to not like peanut butter. <laughs> but I can't just tell him, no, you like peanut butter. When we're commanded to love God, it's not that He's not worthy of that or that that isn't going to make any sense, but we just had better because the Bible says so. It's that that's how we're built and that's who He is. He should be loved. He's wonderful and awesome and glorious and, and we should love Him with all of who we are because it's the only thing that really makes sense. So we got Jesus teaching love. Does he teach fear? Let's look at Luke. Luke's always helpful. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Jesus again is speaking. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. How's that? How's that? Okay. Fear Him. What Jesus is saying here is, you think people murdering you is bad? Don't be afraid of that. That's nothing. That's what He's saying. That's no big deal. So what? They kill you. What more can they do? But there is something you should be afraid of. There is someone you should be afraid of because he has power beyond that. Is that, is that fire and brimstone? So we've got Jesus doing fire and brimstone and we've got Jesus preaching love both as motivations. You serve the Lord. Why? Because he's awesome. He's wonderful. Go with him. You serve the Lord. Why? Because He has the power to throw you into hell. <laughs> so you follow Him. Both motivations. Love and fear. Are there times where you need a kick in the pants to follow the Lord? Are there times where you need to be wooed into the presence of God? Absolutely. So, these do kind of work together, don't they? Sometimes you need a kick in the pants. Sometimes you need a hug. You need to be told you're valuable. You need to be told that 
that the living God cares about you. And so check this out. We go from, yes, I tell you, fear Him, to the next verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus, in the same breath, says, I'll tell you who you should fear, and don't be afraid. He says both of them. Can you see how people get confused when they read the Scriptures and they think, well, isn't this contradictory? He's telling me to be afraid. And then right in the same paragraph, he's telling me to not be afraid. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be afraid or not? Well, let's straighten that out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? That'd be helpful. That's on the next page of my notes. Let me give you a spiritual principle. Once you have established a relationship with God, when I had no relationship with God, I didn't fear God, I didn't love God, I didn't believe God was real. I had no relationship with God. Since I got to know God, I have had times of great closeness with God. And I have had times of distance. And I've experienced both of those. And so, still having the relationship, but the relationship kind of changing, here's a principle. The farther you are from God, the more fear-based your relationship will be. The closer you are to God, the more love-based your relationship will be. So if you're running from God, you're in rebellion against God, you're just going a different direction from God, your, your relationship with God is going to be more based on fear. And rightly so. Because we should fear Him who has power to throw us into hell. But the closer we get to God, something happens. Something's different. And we end up in this place of a close relationship with God where we walk with God not motivated by you had better do this or something bad's going to happen to you, but we're motivated by, wow, this is awesome. This is great. The things of God are wonderful. I want to go that way. How does that work? We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. You having all kinds of fun now? Yeah, you want to get here? You want to get to this next thing? Some people, they live their whole life in this fear thing. And it's just, I'm rotten. God hates me. How can I fool God into letting me into heaven? That's a that's an icky place. You've got to get past that. There's a, there's a place in the love of God that you can get to, and we learn about that in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read a big bunch of it, and then we're going to focus on a couple of verses. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So, who do you obey? You, you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, but you don't love people. What does it mean? It, it, here it says, whoever does not love does not know God. Who are you obeying? Who have you offered yourself as a slave to obey? Hate? If so, that's not God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So look at this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Can you drive something out that isn't there? If fear is being driven out, fear is there. So this is talking about a relationship with the Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, where there is fear. Where there is, God is big, He is mighty, He doesn't need me, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head, what am I going to do? That fear is pushed out, it's driven out, it's replaced by love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. When we stand before God, something will happen. How many of us are fully convinced it's just going to be a big hug and that's it? You know, the Bible says things like we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. Things like that. That puts me in the fear category. Like, oh man. But there's something else in the Scriptures too, and that is the blood of Christ. That we are forgiven because He loved us. It's not that we did the right thing, that we're so awesome and so perfect, but God loved us. And the blood of Christ washes our sins away. And that love, that perfect love, the love of Christ, drives out fear. So my fear motivation, I can be forgiven, loved by God, and then love God. The motivation can change from fear of doing wrong, from fear of disappointing, from fear of failing, to realizing the Creator of the universe loves me, has made provision for my imperfections, my weaknesses, my failures, my sins. And He wants me 
in His kingdom. So my motivation changes from fear of failure, fear of making mistakes, fear of doing it wrong, into God loves me, I'm going to love Him back. I want to, I want to find out about Him. I want to do what He wants me to do. Because He's good. He's got good things for me. Motivation switches. Let's read the next couple of verses. 19. We love because He first loved us. Let's, I'm going to invite the prayer team up as we read these Scriptures. We're going to close here in just a second. We love because He first loved us. There's something I want you to get today that's really, really, really important. We love because He first loved us. To be properly motivated as a disciple, to be someone who is seeking after God because you love God, you have to open yourself up to be loved by God. You have to let that shell break around your heart. And instead of earning your way, instead of, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, you just have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Just love me. And He loves you. I want you to be open to being loved by God. Let the wall come down. Let this shell be broken. The relationship a disciple has is that person is loved by God and lets that love sink in. That's what I want for you today. That is the right relationship between you and the living God. Is you say, I will follow you because you love me. You have what's best for me in mind. You will help me. You will guide me. You will bring me through even though I've got these faults and failures and imperfections. I'm not motivated by fear anymore. Sometimes again, you need a kick in the pants, but it's not a fear thing. It's a love thing. I love you, Lord. Show me. Help me to walk in your ways. And we make that transition by being loved by God. So let's pray. The prayer team is here for individual prayer. I'm just going to pray for you corporately. Uh, after that, you can come down for individual prayer. Otherwise, you can you can head out. Um, but let's just pray together first before we do that. Father, I just speak over every heart in this place this morning. Lord, let the walls come down around our hearts between us and you. Let the calluses come off. Lord, if there's anything seared, let it be healed. Lord, let us Allow ourselves to be loved by You with no conditions, without earning anything, without proving ourselves, without thinking about our failures and our faults. Lord, let us just let that fall and be loved by You. Let us receive that, each one, Father, so that we can know that perfect love drives out fear and that we can love You with all we've got. We can seek to walk in Your ways. We can be followers of You, motivated by how wonderful You are and how great are Your ways. 
rather than motivated by fear. Lord, bless us in that way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I speak a blessing over everyone in this place. Let your grace be upon us. Let your light shine within us. And let it go with us everywhere we go in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The prayer team's up front. You can come down for personal prayer. Whatever your need is, come on down and receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord.